sure is good to be with all of you, especially if you're a guest. And something that we like to remind ourselves of is that Journey, we're not some elite country club full of perfect people, are we? Like, not even close, right? Rather, instead, we think of Journey as a healing place, kind of like a hospital, a church where people find forgiveness, find freedom, find divine help. And so, if you're an imperfect person here today, I want you to know that you're in very, very good company because I am an imperfect uh, person and you're probably sitting next to imperfect people. And we've been talking for the past few weeks now about what God's been up to and is up to across the life of Journey Church. And it is spectacular all that he is doing because this is his church. It is him doing it. It isn't us. Most days we're just holding on for the ride around here. And we're talking about our future, praying about our future and so on. And we actually believe that God's leading us to build together more base camp and classroom space to make room for more kids to learn what it is to know and follow Jesus That new space over there will allow us to open that daycare and preschool specifically for single parents, uh, single families in our community. We believe that God is leading us to build 150 more parking spaces. Uh, We believe that God is asking us to pay down by about two-thirds or so uh, the mortgage on this building as quickly as we can. We believe that God is asking us to build three soccer fields for our community. And then at the end of all of that, sort of the fifth prong of the Not Without You initiative is that we believe that God is asking us to resource some new kingdom initiatives to reach more people in our community for Jesus, in our community and beyond our community, even around the world. And a few, or at least a couple of those things, those initiatives that are a part of Not Without You, we have to do because every single week you bring three things with you. You bring your babies, you bring your Buicks, and you bring your bottoms, right? You bring your babies, your Buicks, and your bottoms. And so, you're, you know, your posterior. We have to say bottom because it's a B and it goes with Buicks and babies. You see how that works. Uh, more classroom and base camp space, that's for your babies. More parking, that's for your Buicks. And uh, as for your bottoms, well, we're sitting pretty good uh, on that, though we would encourage you to think about maybe if you're sitting in this room in particular at 11 o'clock, that maybe you would come on Saturday night or at 9 o'clock on Sunday. Come on, wake up early and free up seats in this room for more of our guests. Just invite you to think about that. No pressure, though. No pressure. And I just want to say uh, right out of the gates that this Not Without You initiative is not about a building, it's not about a parking lot, it's not about soccer fields paying off debt, it's not about resourcing God's kingdom in other places. It isn't even about the money, if you want to be real honest. And if you think it's about the money, if you think it's about those projects, I got to tell you, I think you're thinking way too small. Because Not Without You, at the very end of the day, is about us becoming more spiritually mature. This is all about us growing in our faith, actually becoming more and more like our God, the God who gave his one and only son, Jesus, for us on the cross. And I want to tell you that this Tuesday night, we're going to join together as a community right in this room for a concert of prayer and worship. You're all invited. I'll be leading the prayer time. The Journey worship team will be leading the worship through music. Seven o'clock Tuesday night right here. We'll go about 75 minutes or so. Do not miss that. Come back on 
Tuesday. If you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to open it. I do hope you have a Bible. We've made those loaner Bibles available out there on the shelves on the way in, and they're not the take-home Bibles. They're the for-while-you're-in-here Bibles. Turn to the Old Testament book of Haggai, if you would, please. Haggai, the Old Testament book, Haggai chapter 1. Some of you are looking right now, and you're going like, all right, pastor, fun's over. Where the heck is the book of Haggai? It's real, real easy. It's between Zephaniah and Zechariah. And uh, hope that helps, right? You need to use the table of contents. There's no shame in that. Or you can follow along on the screens. Haggai chapter 1, starting in verse 1. We're going to go through verse 8. On August 29, or the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. I just want to pause here for a moment. You know, uh, when you get pregnant and you think about having kids and uh, you think about naming those kids, we all spend lots of money on those like baby naming books. They're kind of expensive. I'd say you could save that money or you could give it to Not Without You if you wanted to because there's such a string of great names right there. Right? Did, did you get it? We got Darius, Haggai, Zerubbabel, Shealtiel, Jeshua, son of Jehozadak. Whoa. I mean, I dare you to use those. You can string a couple of them together. Jeshua Jehozadak. (laughs) Poor kid. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Now, uh, historically, here's what's going on in the book of Haggai. The northern ten tribes of Israel, they were carried off into exile by the nation of Assyria back in 722 B.C. The southern tribe of Judah, they hold out. They last until 586 B.C., but then Babylon sweeps in, conquers Jerusalem for the very last time, and carries off much of their population into exile. In 538 B.C., which is about 48 years later, Cyrus, who's the king of Persia, he's conquered Babylon, and he issues what's called a decree of return. That decree meant that any Jew who wanted to return to his or her homeland was able to do so. They were invited to go back. According to the book of Ezra, also in the Old Testament, about 50,000 exiles or so returned in that first wave and began rebuilding the temple in the second year of their return. There was, though, this unfortunate political opposition and plotting by those who were living in the land, and that prevented the Jews from continuing building the temple. Those who opposed the rebuilding of the temple, they got Cyrus to rescind his decree. The building stopped sometime around 535 B.C. or so. That decree, though, was then extended by Cambyses, the son of Cyrus, who followed Cyrus onto the throne. In 521 B.C., Darius, who's a distant cousin of Cambyses, he seizes the throne. 
Darius then very promptly rescinds the edict against rebuilding the temple. And you can read in Ezra chapter 6, you can actually read that decree. I put the reference on your notes page for you. You can do that on your own sometime. And so that's sort of the historical background that takes us up to Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. So you see we have this group of former exiles. They've been in the land for about 18 years. They start rebuilding the temple. They were forced to give up the rebuilding of the temple. And through a combination of political opposition, simple inertia as well, they allowed the building to stop, to languish, to go into neutral. So they can rebuild the temple, but they've got this argument going. Haggai 1-2, we see the argument. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And Haggai brings this message from God, the Lord of heaven's armies, and his simple message from God is, listen, Jews, finish the temple. Get it done. Because a half-built temple does not in any way honor God. Get it done. And for the past few weeks, we've been talking about generosity. And we've been talking about our plan to pay down the mortgage on this phase of the commons by at least two-thirds to expand and to build and to ask God to do even more than he's already been doing in our church, in our hearts, through our church, out into our community. And today I want to talk to you about which chair you're sitting in. Which chair you're sitting in. And some stuff that a guy named David Hughes and Rick Warren wrote uh, resourced my study and my prep this week. What chair are you sitting in now? Which chair are you going to sit in? Are you going to stay in the chair that you're sitting in now for the rest of your life? Or do you need to change chairs, perhaps? Today's all about which chair that you're presently sitting in. And we love chairs in the United States of America. Now, there are some cultures in some parts of the world where people sit on the floor, where people sit on the ground, and so. But I'm guessing that at least every person here has at least one chair in the place that you live. Show of hands for a person who does not have at least one chair. You do not have at least one chair. Yeah, you all have seats. There was a gal who was here at 9 o'clock who was sitting right about here, and she didn't have a chair, so uh, somebody needs to get her a chair. Poor gal. We all have chairs. We like chairs. And I have, as you can see, I have some chairs up here with me today, three chairs. And this is going to require, our time together today is going to require that we're honest with ourselves. Because in Haggai chapter 1 verse 7, I want to show you a little statement that God makes through the prophet Haggai that's quite powerful. Haggai 1 7. This is what the Lord of the, what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Look at what's happening to you. Look at what's happening to you. And the NIV translation of the Bible, here's how that's stated. Same verse, just a little different translation. Haggai 1 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Check this out. Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. That's kind of a sit up and listen kind of verse, isn't it? Dial in real, real carefully. The Hebrew, which is the original language of that text, is quite rich. It actually means to appraise yourself with full candor. Appraise yourself with full candor. Look at internal and external issues. Look at your behavior. Look at your heart-deep attitude, which is really the main challenge I have for all of us together here today. Would you be, please, real, real honest with yourself today? As I talk through these chairs, would you please take a very honest appraisal of which chair you're sitting in? Because here's the deal. 
Which chair you're sitting in has everything to do with your receptivity and your responsiveness to God and your quotient of faith in God, which has everything to do with whether or not you live a life of impact, whether you live a life that makes a difference or not. Three chairs, I want to walk you through the three chairs, and let's together take the prophet Haggai up on his invitation to give very careful thought to your ways. The first chair is this chair right here, and I want to call this chair the courage chair. This is a very courageous looking chair, isn't it? Notice that it will take my full weight. This is a lovely chair, sort of simple and elegant. It might be like a dining room chair or perhaps even a chair from the lead pastor's office or something like that. It's quite a chair. It's the courageous chair. Say that with me. Courageous chair. There it is. If you're sitting in the courageous chair, you have what I would call a fully grounded faith in God. When you sit in the courageous or the courage chair, whichever, it means certain things have transpired in your spiritual past. You've connected with God in a very real and personal way. You've connected with God by giving him your heart and your life. Jesus is your savior. Jesus is also your boss. You know him. And more than just knowing him, when you sit in the courage chair, that means you also know God's power. God has shown up in your life in spectacular and amazing ways. And when you're in the courage chair, you articulate it like this. You say, you know, God's just at work in my heart and in my life. I don't even know how to quantify it. I just know that he's at work. People ask you sometimes when you're sitting in the courage chair, well, why is God working in your life? Why is he revealing his power? And you kind of go like, I don't know exactly. But what I do know is along the way on my spiritual journey, God has asked me to step out and do some very courageous things, to do things, decide things, dedicate things. And heck yeah, it's been real scary to sit in the courageous chair. It's felt risky. But as I've trusted God, courageously said yes to him, he's shown up and he's shown up in power. It's a great chair. It's a sturdy, solid chair. has a great foundation. It's stable. When you sit in it, you place your full faith and trust in God, on God. He provides this fantastic foundation because our God is a rock, isn't he? You know what else I like about the courageous chair? It really has great posture to it. When you sit in the courageous chair, you're not like slinking back into it. It sort of forces you upright, which means that in an instant, you can jump up and out of it, right? It's just easy to get up out of that chair and get about serving and giving and sacrificing on behalf of other people. The courageous chair seems to demonstrate the balance of what it means to know and follow Jesus Christ. We have this security, we have this foundation in our relationship with God, but we're not stuck in park, are we? In a moment's notice, we can pop up and serve and give and sacrifice on behalf of other people. That's exactly what it is to know and follow Jesus, isn't it? Our trust is firmly in God, and then we get about giving and serving and sacrificing on behalf of others. I think that's the real balanced picture of what God would have for us, his followers. Right now, as you're sitting here, you're enjoying this feeding, as we sometimes call it, on God's word. We're enjoying an energizing time of worship. But journey, we do not get stuck in this position, in this posture, do we? We're ready in a moment's notice to pop up when this is done and get about giving and serving and sacrificing for others because this is not all there is to following Jesus. That's the courage chair. 
It's the chair of a fully grounded faith. Chair number one is the courage chair. Uh, Now, chair number two is this little sad chair over here. This is called, you can say it with me, this is called the collapsible chair. You say that? The collapsible chair. And this thing, man, this is, this is something else. It's held together by duct tape. It's real pathetic. It's a folding chair. And, and it's a little unnerving to sit in this chair. And you kind of, like, weight is on my leg still because I'm afraid that if I sit all the way down in this, I'll embarrass myself profoundly as it folds up and I bleed or something like that. It's the collapsible chair. It's rickety. And sitting in the collapsible chair is like having a folding faith in God. With the collapsible chair, if and when you manage to place all of your weight on it, you better be careful because it's rickety, it's shaky, it's very, very unstable. It is a collapsible chair. And if you're a person who's here today and you don't yet have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, lots of days, lots of times, that's probably what your life feels like, isn't it? And remember, back a few minutes ago, I asked you to be real honest. Take an honest appraisal of your life. And if you're being honest, and if you're giving very careful thought to your ways, you'd have to admit, if you're sitting in the collapsible chair, that you've tried to build your own life, haven't you? You've tried to build your own success. You've worked very, very, very hard. But when you step back and you analyze what you've done, everything's just kind of a little shaky. Now, if the collapsible chair describes the chair that you're sitting in today, right now, I would almost guarantee you that your chair looks nothing like that chair. That thing looks hideous. It looks absolutely hideous. Why doesn't yours look like that? Because you probably managed to adorn it with a seat cover made out of your own personal success. You've probably covered your collapsible chair with some kind of cover made out of your stuff and things. But at the end of the day, really, you're quite paralyzed about the thought of a crisis. You're paralyzed by the thought of things going south. You're paralyzed by the thought of suffering some kind of personal setback because you are carrying all of your own weight. You got it all. You're not trusting in anyone or anything but you. And you're just living moment by moment, wondering if and when the whole thing might just collapse out from underneath you and see when you're sitting in the courage chair you know God in a very personal way you know God's power firsthand in the collapsible chair you do not know God in a personal way you do not know his power firsthand sure you might have some concept some idea of what God is like but you don't know him one-to-one and if you don't know him one-to-one well then you're not going to experience your power and well his power and you're just well all on your own and if you're here today and you're making a real honest appraisal of your heart and life, and you know the collapsible chair is your chair, you know what the great news is today? That you do not have to stay in the collapsible chair. You do not have to stay in the collapsible chair. Today can be the day that you choose to change chairs. As a matter of fact, in just a few minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do just that. It's one of the reasons around Journey that we do what we do to give people just like you a chance to change chairs. And it happens week in and week out all across the life of Journey Church. Sitting in the collapsible chair means that you do not have a personal relationship with God. You're going at life all alone and it gets a little shaky sometimes, doesn't it? It's a seat of instability. 
What if this is your day to change your chair? So we got the courage chair, we got the collapsible chair, and then we got this lovely right here. Look at this thing. Oh, gosh. I'm just going to settle right into it. Oh, gosh, that's so nice. It's even got one of these deals on it. And you know what, and you know what chair this is, don't you? What's the C for this chair? It's the comfortable chair. It is the comfortable chair, and it's, you just sort of sink into it. It sort of sucks your body in, and it, man. And uh, lots of you right now wish that you were sitting in one of those chairs just like that, but I would never let you do that because in about that long, you'd be asleep, and, well, that wouldn't be very nice to the preacher, would it? It's the comfortable chair. Some people call those chairs, what do they call them? They call them easy chairs because life's easy when you're sitting in the easy chair. It's the comfortable chair chair. Now hear me clearly. To grow spiritually, you cannot be in that chair. To grow up in God, you cannot be in the comfortable chair. And this gets to why we're in the Old Testament prophet of Haggai today. You're wondering like, what in the world, the book of Haggai? Because as your pastor, as other leaders around here, the council and the management team and such, as we've been thinking and we've been praying about God's future vision for our church, how we're going to take down our mortgage, how we're going to better engage and serve our community, how we're going to better engage and serve the families of Journey Church, it was very, very obvious to us what was ahead for us. One of these spiritual growth capital campaign initiatives, some very, very modest expansion. And we know, as we made that decision, as we heard from God, that there are issues, macro issues with our economy, aren't there? And we had to ask the question, God, is this the right thing at the right time? And when you turn to the Old Testament prophet of Haggai, what we see is that they were dealing with the exact same issues clear back in their day. Remember, the temple of God had been in disrepair for a long time. God was stirring in the hearts of his people. There were huge challenges. It was going to take enormous courage. It would take every bit of giving and service and sacrifice that the people could muster. And in the face of all that, God was giving his people a profound call. Haggai 1.8. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Now leave that slide up for just a moment, if you would. He's talking about God's temple, the house of worship. It's really quite incredible what he's saying here. Do not miss this, please. God's saying that there's actually, folks, something that we do, there's something that we can actually build with our tiny little finite human hands that can bring honor and glory to the almighty God of the universe, maker of heaven and earth. He's saying that there's something that we can do that can bring God pleasure. It's like a whoa kind of moment. Did you catch it? As followers of Jesus Christ, isn't that how you want to live your life? Don't you want to sit in the seat of a fully grounded faith? Don't you want to sit in the courageous chair and bring honor and pleasure and glory, all of it that you can bring to our king? And that's exactly what God said to the prophet Haggai. If you'll build my house, it'll put a smile on my face. And in the face of that same challenge from God, that invitation from God to get about building his house, God's people said, you know, I'm not sure I can do that. I'm not sure I want to get about that. 
as the people of God gave careful thought to their ways, they did not step up and sit in the courage chair. They were not hungering for more courage. Instead, they craved comfort. They wanted to sit right here. And we all love comfort, don't we? And there's nothing wrong with personal comfort. Don't get me wrong. But our life and our faith in God get stuck when we overvalue our personal comfort. And how many of us who are here today, who call Jesus our Savior, who call Journey Church our church home, who are sitting right here, right now, in the comfortable chair when it comes to our faith? Now, I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm not at all questioning your salvation. That's not the issue. What I am saying, though, is that oftentimes when God calls us to step out, to take a risk, to live on the edge of faith, what do we do instead? We just sink deeper into the comfort chair. We just play it safe. We play it safe. We value our comfort over God's invitation to grow and to stretch our faith. Many, many, many of us who are here, we recognize that an initiative like Not Without You, it's a good thing to do. Many of us would even say it's a great thing to do. But when it comes to our own personal skin in the game, we resist God's courageous call on our lives because we overvalue our personal comfort. And what many of us do, maybe think about it this way, what is a chair by definition? A chair by definition is a place you park your butt. That's a chair by definition. It's the place you park your butt. And what a whole bunch of us do is we park our butts right here in the comfortable chair and we're not moving off comfort for nothing. We're not moving off comfort. And we know what God says. We hear what God says through the prophet Haggai about building God's kingdom, building God's house. We know that that's true. We hear that it's true. It's exciting. It's great. It brings a smile to God's face. It brings him glory. But some of us sit back and we say, hmm, just not sure it's the right time for me. Just not sure it's the right time for me. And speaking of comfort, some of you sitting here right now, you're quite uncomfortable with this topic. Maybe some of you somehow forgot that we were going to talk about money and generosity in the month of February. And so right now you're checking out, right? Because this isn't your thing. And maybe it upsets you whenever a pastor talks about money or building or generosity or so. And what I've found over the years is that there's usually three groups of people who get upset, who get uncomfortable when a preacher talks about money. The first group of people is people who don't yet know God personally. And maybe you're one of those here today. And you don't yet know God personally. Maybe you're new to journey and you're going, aha, I got it. You got this place pegged. They're one of those kinds of churches. He's one of those kinds of preachers. All he wants is my money. That's what he's about. He probably has a gold-plated jet airplane out at Gallatin Field and this money we're raising is going to build him like a pastoral jacuzzi or something like that. And here's the deal. I want to say to you that I know that you don't know me. I know that you don't trust me and I get that. I absolutely get that. I don't blame you for not trusting me. And so if you're here, you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not yet rooted in the journey, please know that I actually want you to be comfortable. I want you to be comfortable. Please do not sweat any of this that we're talking about. We're not asking you for anything. I don't want you to give anything. There's no pressure on you. But here's what I am praying for. Here's what I hope for. That you'll listen really, really carefully today and you'll listen really, really carefully in the weeks to come, and that you'll hear how incredibly much God loves you, because he does. 
And then what I also hope and pray that you'll hear is how very much the community called Journey Church loves you, cares about you, and I hope you'll hear the lengths we as a church are willing to go to sacrifice for you, to serve you, and to do whatever it takes to help connect you with God. Please hear that. The second group of people who get real uncomfortable with this kind of thing are Christians who are under really great financial pressure right now. The economy has hit you hard, your finances are obliterated, and I know the stories just in our church family. I know them. People losing their homes, people losing their businesses, and you're feeling the most intense financial pressure of your entire life, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, this is all about generosity, and I can't do a single thing. I can barely keep food on the table. I can barely keep the lights on over at my house, and we're so stressed, and we have so little. If that's you, as your pastor... I want you to know that I love you. I want you to know that your church loves you. I want you to hear that your church values you immensely. You are such a meaningful part of our church family. You always will be. And you know the really, really great thing about generosity. In the scriptures, generosity is always proportional. Meaning that if you have very, very little... God expects what? Very, very little. Jesus, as a matter of fact, he only celebrates two acts of generosity in the gospel narratives. One of those was a very, very tiny gift. You remember the story. The impoverished widow, she gave two pennies. Jesus stood back, he watched that, and he says, whoa, look at her faith, would you? She gave her last two cents. And so if you're a person who's here today and you find yourself under intense financial pressure, what I want you to hear is no pressure here. No pressure here. As a matter of fact, we want to bring God's peace to you, not pressure. And I'm looking forward very, very much to discovering with you God's blessings and how God's going to show up and how God's going to partner with you in the days ahead to move you from where you are now to a better place. Now the third group of people who get real uncomfortable when we talk like we're talking right now, and there's no nice way to say this, is greedy Christians. They don't like conversations like this. And some of you won't like this, and you're gonna get mad at me, some of you are gonna send me mean emails, and some of you might just quit, as a matter of fact, being a part of Journey, because this, frankly, is your deal. This is your hang-up. This is the area that you struggle with. Maybe in your life you've surrendered all the other areas to God, relationships and habits and so on and so forth. You've certainly trusted God for your salvation, but you've never trusted God with your checkbook because you're afraid to trust him with your checkbook. You've never done it. And you want to deny that reality and so you'll get mad at me and maybe some other church that you used to be a part of talked like we're talking and you quit that church and now you're here and now you're saying, I ain't coming back to this church because there they go talking about that money thing. And here's what I say to you. I love you too. I love you too. But I do dare say that God wants to challenge you on the subject of money and on the subject of generosity. And I want to challenge you actually with the words of Haggai, the prophet of God. Please give very careful thought to your ways. And please spend these upcoming days processing and praying and asking God to release you from the stronghold of money and greed because you might be doing very, very, very well. 
Maybe you have a lot of stuff and things. You're strong to very strong financially speaking, but you've locked God completely out of your financial realm and you have lots, but you stress lots too. You're trying to keep it all spinning, right? And here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to hear. Our God is not into bondage. Our God is not into bondage. God is all about freedom. Freedom in Christ. And if money and if greed is your hang-up area, what I'm going to ask you to do is very graciously and gently hang with us. Hang with us. And let God show you that he actually doesn't want anything from you. Let him show you that you cannot ever outgive him. Let him show you that. The comfortable chair, remember, is where we park our butts when God says it's time to take that hill and the people sit back and say, oh no, I don't think it's time. I think it's time to settle into the comfortable chair. Haggai 1-2, the people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. The Lord said, folks, it's time. The temple has been needed to be reconstructed for years. People are turning away from Journey's weekend worship experiences because of parking issues. Kids are literally hanging out the windows, not literally, they're hanging out the windows over in the base camp wing. And some of us are going, yeah, God, you're great and all, let's build your house, but please, let's not do it right now, not this year. Let's get the mortgage paid down all the way before we work on serving the people who God is bringing to our doorstep. There's some things going on right now, God, just in case you didn't notice. Maybe you're not aware, God, but there's this sort of economic thing going on. The economy's pretty strange right now. And it was the exact same deal back in Haggai's day. They had a very weird economy going. Their major hang-up, as a matter of fact, was the economy. Look at verse 6. You have planted much but harvest little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink but are still thirsty. You put on clothes but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Those are all, every one of them, economic issues. And how many people sitting right here today are dealing with financial difficulty? How many of you are saying just what that last sentence says, your wages disappear as though you are putting them in pockets filled with holes? They're having an economic recession. God, we know that we should be about building your house, but right now things are tough economically. And what I want to press in on for a moment is I want us to understand very clearly what faith is and what faith is not. Because some people think that having faith is being blind to the problematic. Some people think that people of faith just ignore the problems and just charge out. They think about David charging out into the valley of Elah pretending there's not a giant there who wants to kill him. Some people who lack faith, they look at what David did with Goliath in the Valley of Elah and they're going, that ain't faith, that's just dumb, right? Because people who lack faith, they only focus on the problematic, why? Because they're so busy just trying to tackle their problems, their challenges, all in their own strength, all in their own intellect, all in their own resources, and that's why life gets real shaky for people without faith. But get this, the person with the fully grounded faith, the person who sits in the courageous chair, they're not someone who ignores problems. They're not blind to the problems. Instead, they just measure the problems based on their relationship with God. People of faith compare their problems and challenges with the enormity of our God. Who's bigger, your problems or your God? Well, some people say right now that the biggest problem we face with a $3.1 million challenge is the economy. They say that's the deal. 
Some are saying, we cannot step up in faith and courage and build and finish the temple of God because the economy is an issue. But I do not believe that the economy was the real issue for most of the folks back in Haggai's day. I don't even think the economy is the real issue today. It is not the economy. I believe it is our priorities, isn't it? It's our priorities. People are comfortable. We're comfortable. We know God. We should be about building your house and so, but the, the economy... And God says, let's get real, real honest here. Give very careful thought to your ways. Look at Haggai 1.4. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? Whoa. God says, look, some people in Israel have it tough, but most of you are okay. Maybe not the liquid assets you had before, but you're okay. Your homes are okay. Your homes are better than okay. In fact, a little later in the text, it says, you've busied yourself building your own house. You've made that a priority, but not my house. Where's your priority? Well, I get that it's a tough time economically, but hear this. If you earn $38,000 a year, you're in the top 6% of wage earners worldwide. $38,000 a year, top 6% of wage earners worldwide. And God says what? To whom much is given, much is required. And in these weeks of talking about not without you, it might make you feel uncomfortable. But when we're very careful and when we're candid and we're honest about our ways, the Bible says people sit in that comfy chair and they say it's about the economy. God, I know I should be about building your house and bringing your kingdom, being about your work and so on, but there's some things that I really want right now. There's some things that I really want right now. And that's just the way the comfortable chair works, isn't it? You just sort of slink in. and You get stuck in the comfortable chair. But God is not into his kids, his children, his followers getting stuck in the comfortable chair. And some of you, I know these days, God's been talking long and hard with you about simplifying your life. Because lots and lots of us, we're just prisoners to our stuff. And maybe God's calling you to get real radical and real uncomfortable and say, you know, God, I gotta change my life. It's time to thin out some stuff, get rid of a few things. It's time for me to get up and get out of this comfortable chair and move over to the courage chair. And that is a beautiful thing, isn't it? When people say, I don't need that, I'm trusting God, I want to be free. And some of us here, we thought that this not without you thing was going to be all about getting saddled with giving more money to the church, when actually God wants to use this initiative to set you free, more free than you've ever been in your whole life. But to be free, you know what you got to do first? You got to get uncomfortable. You got to get uncomfortable. And maybe you're sitting there right now going, now look, Brian, this is overkill. You got these three chairs, you got the courage chair, collapsible chair, comfortable chair. The language is just way too strong. Could you just dial it down? I want to tell you, I've gone real easy on you. Look at Revelation 3, 15 and 16. This is what Jesus says. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Jesus says, look, there's three spiritual positions in this world, hot, cold, lukewarm. And if you're too comfortable, if you're compromising spiritually, Jesus says, I will spit you from my mouth. Jesus says, you make me sick to my stomach. That's Jesus, not me. I'm just the messenger boy. 
Jesus says that to us. And maybe today as you sit back and you take an honest appraisal of your life, you're getting a little sick of your own compromise. But maybe you're ready, willing, and able to get a little radical in your life. And maybe you're willing to pray and seek God and be open to what he's asking you to do. And yeah, it's going to make you quite uncomfortable. Because you see, God's asking you, he's asking us, every single one of us, to step up and to give and serve and sacrifice. And as we do that, we find an amazing foundation in him. And if we do that, if we get up out of the comfortable chair and we move to the courageous chair, you know what'll happen? I think we'll actually see God change our church in a quite dramatic way. I think we'll actually see God accomplish those little not without you projects, absolutely. And more importantly, I think if we'll all get up out of the comfortable chair and move over to the courageous chair, that we'll actually see God move in the Gallatin Valley. And that's my heart. And I believe to my core that God is going to do something so amazing that this little 40 acres that we have here will not be able to contain it all. And I want you to know the Gallatin Valley is a beautiful place, but it is a messed up place, isn't it? It's a beautiful place and it's messed up. And right out those doors is our mission field. And our God, in the midst of all that mess, is the God of this valley. And he's the king of every single person in this valley. And no matter what's going on in Washington, D.C., he is the Lord of this nation. And those words that I just said there, some of you might recognize them. They're actually words to a, a song, and we love that song. It's called God of This City. And that song was made real popular by a guy named Chris Tomlin, but I want you to know Chris didn't write that song. Everybody thinks he did, but he didn't. That song was actually written by a group of Irish Christian rockers that are called Blue Tree. They're from Belfast. And so you hear they're from Belfast, Ireland, and all of a sudden the lyrics to the song sort of start to make sense. They're saying that God is the God of that beautiful and tragic city, Belfast, Ireland, where Catholics and Protestants have been at war for decades, and you begin to get this picture of them sort of speaking those words over the city of Belfast. It's beautiful. But as it turns out, that's not the case. Blue Tree has a global mission and purpose to their band. So they actually were traveling and doing music over in Thailand, and they were in a city in a region in Thailand where sex trafficking is absolutely rampant. It's the capital, as a matter of fact, of sexual tourism and exploitation of children and so. And Blue Tree is this group of young men who love God. They love leading worship. They wanted to encourage churches in Thailand. And so as they went on this trip, God laid it on their heart that any time, any place, they were invited to sing that they would go. Whether it was a church or whether it was a bar, they would just go. And sure enough, one day a bar owner invited them to come and sing and play and this bar owner didn't speak any English and he didn't really know that they were Christians. He spoke Thai and they said, well, sure, we'll go because they had just made this kind of deal with God, right? Anytime we get the chance to sing and worship, we'll go no matter what the venue was. And they went into this bar and it turns out that this bar was also a brothel. And so they walked into the door and they did the real quick math and they're like, oh gosh, maybe we should get the heck out of this place. But they remembered their little deal with God. If you call us, we'll play. If you call us, we'll go. If you call us, we'll sing. They had not pre-written this song. This song was not at all in the repertoire before that night. And the lead singer, a guy named Aaron Boyd, he stood up in front of the bar and they began to lead worship. 
and remember they're in this bar brothel deal and there's people all over this bar and brothel whose eyes are hollowed out, whose souls are obviously hollowed out and they're in a place where horrific and tragic things have taken, perverse things had taken place and in the moment of spontaneity, Aaron began to sing the words to the song, God of the city. Aaron said God gave him those words. And over this very dark city, over the bar, over the brothel, he said, you're the God of this city. And he looked around at the broken people milling all around, hollowed out eyes, hollowed out souls. And he said, you're the king of all these people. And he could see from where he was standing on the stage, he could see out the doors of the bar, sort of the hustle and bustle of the street in front of the bar brothel deal. And he said, you know, Lord, it doesn't seem like it right now, but you're the Lord of this nation. You are. He was making this proclamation, this prophecy. I want to do the exact same thing over the Gallatin Valley today. Because I want to see God do something so powerful, so profound, so pervasive, that people who don't even know him will recognize that he's at work in our hearts, he's at work in our church, and beyond. I want to claim this valley for our God. I believe with my whole heart that when it comes to the Gallatin Valley, he is God. I believe with my whole heart that when it comes to the people of the Gallatin Valley, he is king of all these people. I believe with all of me that he is the Lord of this nation. And get this, we don't have any hope without him. We have no hope without him. And I believe with all of me that God is up to amazing things, but it's going to take all of us, not without you. And so I want us to stand to our feet, if you would, and we're going to sing this song, God of the City, together.